Hi, I'm Sarah Goodall, wife, mum, and marketing obsessed business owner. Welcome to my Campfire Chat series. After 20 plus years in B2B marketing roles, I've had the great pleasure to meet and work with some fascinating folks. People who've inspired or challenged me to think differently about social business, advocacy, and digital leadership. I figured it was time to share their stories and insights in a series of short, punchy podcast chats. Today, I'm talking to Francisco Pelzing. He's also known as Paco. He's got over 30 years experience in sales and global account management. And 15 years ago, Paco made the step over to managing learning and development on a global scale. Blending this experience together, he recently started working with Hemsley Fraser, who are a UK headquartered worldwide training provider. They've got colorful offices, I've been in them. They have state-of-the-art training facilities and a really impressive approach to blended learning. Paco, welcome to my campfire chat. I just want to welcome you, Paco, to my little podcast campfire chat. Thank you for coming. Thank it's, you very um, much. Well, I can't remember the last time we spoke. It was probably a little, a couple of months ago, I think, or maybe yes. a little bit longer. I've got to ask Paco because your name. All right, I know I have to start with this because <laughs> on LinkedIn you are Francisco, and I'm guessing that name's got a bit of Italian heritage. Looking at your career and, mm. and background, is it almost? Ooh, um, so then. my name is then Francisco Ramon. And it's very Spanish. Oh, Spanish. And, you know, the Italian version of Francisco is Francesco. And mm. Paco is, let's say, the um, yeah nickname in Spain, the official or semi-official nickname. So when you're small, when you're a small Francisco, people call you Paquito. Oh. And then you're grown up a little bit, like me. <laughs> people call me Paco. And in a future, very distant future, I might be called, you know, when I'm a mature man, Francisco, but it's not yet there. Oh, right. I was going to say, I thought it just gets shorter and shorter. So it goes down to pack. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Is that it? Is it just your name just gets shorter and shorter as you get older? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing that fascinates me about you, Paco, and the reason why you're on this show, really, there's a couple of things I want to explore with you because we met mm-hmm. in your previous role and mm-hmm. around social selling. We'll come on to that a bit later but I have noticed that your career has sort of crisscrossed its way between sales and marketing leadership roles over the years I'm just interested to see how you've seen those two functions work together and maybe even not work together or Mm -hmm. you know because you've had a foot in both camps so can you explain a little bit about that I will try. Yes, it's a very, very interesting question. I would say I always tended more into the the sales side of things because, you know, I'm very, very open. I mean, that probably comes off the mix of, you know, Spanish and, and German heritage. And so I was always passionate for engaging with people, trying to uh, try to understand their business and obviously try to connect them with whatever my employers uh, would be able to offer. And so that's where I got really connected to sales, key account management. And, you know, where sometimes it's not easy uh, is where it's too much assertiveness there. So I had to learn, you know, with age that patience sometimes is a good advisor. And, you know, assertiveness does not work with everybody. So I needed to learn how to align my, let's say, sales process or the sales process of my company with the buying process of my future potential clients. Mm. And that my pace is not always their pace. (laughs) That requires some patience and that's not always easy. That is a very good observation. So from your sales perspective, because I'm quite interested in between this sort of 
sales and marketing alignment and how that's worked in your career. Where, where do you see marketing stepping in and sales working together more so now? Because this kind of relates to how we met a little bit a few years ago mm. and the changing role of sales and marketing working together. Yes, I think that in the past years, the the alignment need between those two functions has grown massively. I mean, before probably, uh, you know, the sales guys, especially, you know, the lonely wolf character, protective, you know, of of its customer base. I mean, that for sure is not working anymore. So Mm -hmm. you need to be transparent. You need to be very early sharing the signals from the market and the trends and sharing them with the marketing function yeah. so to enable them to be really at the pulse of things and to be able to help the sales function. Mm-hmm. And there are so many opportunities to help, but alignment is key here. And if this is from both sides, by the way, if this is not done well, then you probably lose that game. Yeah, you're absolutely spot on. And I think now stepped into owning a business, you've got, you've got to have a kind of a sales role as well. But I see the value in sales conversations and how that feeds into marketing content. You know, and unless you, I think the two of you align around the customer and the customer needs, then it's never going to work. I have to say, though, your comment about patience. Oh, honestly, this week I could have done with a bit more patience with my kids. So don't know about the sales process, Paco, but, I, you know, the bedtime routine with children, I need more patience. Thing. Yes, yes. But you know, especially also for kids, it has more to do with the leadership side of things. You know, in my previous role, I had really the pleasure and the luck to work with a global team of, of 20 learning passionates and to see people grow. And that's where I'm coming from. You know, you see your kids grow and to uh, observe their growth mindset, their attitude. I mean, that oh. is fabulous. So your own growth path is getting less and less important and yeah. to helping other younger people to grow that fascinates me more and more right well I love that okay too so we're going to talk about that when we first met Paco I remember you were in a role around learning and you were so excited to show me innovative ways that you were creating learning experiences for employees I think you've done a a game or something Mm -hmm. clearly this is where now you work for Hemsley Fraser this is where your career has taken you very much in the learning and development so where did all that curiosity and passion for learning come Come from then? I mean, learning all, all my life. I've been uh, living in Paris for eight years when I was 19. And there I studied tourism. And then, you know, I worked for Air France Lufthansa. And then, you know, I wanted to do studies again. So I went back to Germany. I did some other studies in international business and international marketing. So it's probably intrinsic. And same with languages, with sports, with people, methods, tools. So we probably will talk about social selling later. I don't believe in, you know, age being a function of whether I want to learn something new or not. It's Mm. really about education. And by the way, little anecdote here, if you allocate to each of the 26 letters of the Roman alphabet, A to 1, B to 2, and so on and so forth, and you add up, you do that with the, with the word attitude, you come up to 100. So that is an interesting anecdote. Well, there you go. There's a hidden secret then, isn't it? Yes. That's, that's your party trick right out the window now, Paco. Yes. You, can't, exactly. <laughs> you can't use that. No, nope, no. That's True. brilliant. But, you know, you mentioned growth mindset, and that's something I'm quite, I, I'm not expert in it, but I am absolutely fascinated by it around, you know, how you 
encourage employees to take a, a bit of a, a different perspective on life. Learning isn't necessarily just sitting doing an online course. Actually, learning mm. is from other people. It's from experiences. You know, oh, I just love all that. And for failures as yeah, well. Learning out of failures. Well, I'm having to keep teaching my children that at the moment. So, <laughs> but you know, Hemsley Fraser works, you work with a lot of global companies. What challenges do you see your customers face when it comes to global complex matrix organizations with multi-generations within the workforce? What are the things you're observing around learning in that kind of environment? Yeah, that's uh, also a very interesting question. And uh, also in the past months uh, with, with Henkel last year, it was extremely important to get a share of mind of the business stakeholders. How do you do that as a learning function? How do you stay relevant? How do you get, let's say, permission to be a business transformation partner for the business? Because all the big businesses and probably even the smaller ones are in a big business digital transformation phase. And yeah. the learning service, the learning function has a, an enormous role to play in here, but you need to get acceptance. So how to balance to stay up to speed with all the different learning methodologies, tools, digital stuff versus the relevant business stuff and be allowed to participate in those conversations. That's a big challenge. Yeah. And I would say also listening to you about connecting learning because businesses and business leaders understand one thing, right? Which is growth and revenue growth mm -hmm. and customer mm -hmm. growth. And But how do you map learning to metrics like that, that the business leaders understand? How do you mm -hmm. start having that conversation around that? And I see this with other functions, you know, communications, HR, you know, they're, they're desperately trying to change the conversation so they can communicate communicate their value back to the business in a way that the business understands. And mm -hmm. I find that quite fascinating. Yeah. And the other point uh, around those challenges to, to come back to your question is measuring return on training. That is the, you know, the holy grail anyway. I mean, if the business stakeholders, if the leaders in your company start with that question, they probably don't have the right mindset and haven't understood growth and people learning and motivation. Mm. Because I mean, for me, honestly, it's a no brainer that we have to support our employees in their growth path yeah. with the relevant learning methodologies. And 70-20-10, for me, it's more relevant than ever, especially the 70 portion. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't offer, you know, performance support in the moment of need, if you're not able to do that as a company, then it will be very difficult for the learning function to stay relevant. Explain that for people that are listening that maybe don't understand the 70-20 then. So 70% of learning is done on the job at the time of need. Exactly. Yeah? So, I mean, that's, you know, in the L&D function, of course, a very well-known concept. And it should illustrate that the 10, obviously, it's all the formal training we are offering and doing, whether it's, you know, uh, online or offline, it's the formal, the structured training. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's 10. It's really a minor portion. And we yes. all know yeah. that if you are in a classroom training and you don't reinforce the learning, mm -hmm. I mean, forget about it. 87% yeah. of what you have learned in these classroom days is lost after 30 days. It's wow gone. Yeah. So if it's not reinforced with a 20-bit, meaning with social learning, with peer, lo uh, peer learning, peer coaching and coaching and leading by your uh, colleagues, then it will go anywhere. And the 70 is then really applying what you learned, reinforced, try out, fail, try again, 
be a real agile person when you implement learning, then it will not succeed. Brilliant. That's brilliant. Thank you, Paco, for explaining that. So, well, what I'm going to do now is ask you to get your crystal ball out, Paco. So mm-hmm. I would like you to give us a glimpse as to, I mean, I, I see Hemsley Fraser for me. I, I, I love it. I, I love your offices, I have to say, but I just love <laughs> the whole approach that you have to blended learning. You know, you are at the cutting edge of learning experiences for employees. So a company like you, give us a glimpse as to what the future looks like for learning in business. So, I mean, it's, you know, out out there since a few years, but it's about the right blend, obviously. People are not, you know, don't have the time to travel so much anymore. Time is such a precious resource in what we do that you need to find effective, engaging, and insightful ways how to bring the right learning experience into an organization. So the right blend of, you know, bite-sized digital tools with uh, coaching, espresso sessions, uh, virtual espresso sessions where in 90 minutes you can share, you know, some insights and then continue with the coaching bit to reinforce what you learned in in those 90 minutes, but also, you know, offer around, you know, hundreds of different topics, including, by the way, more and more lifestyle topics like, you know, resilience or storytelling or, I mean, well-being or to feel comfortable in what you're doing. All these are, you know, in the right combination at the right moment. It's really a valuable offering to any employee. So it's not only anymore about you got the good old sales training where a lot of the budgets went to in the past years. It's about the right blend. And talking about that right blend, uh, a concept which we are seeing that our global customers, you know, you mentioned those global metrics organizations are requiring more and more. Mm-hmm. The concept which comes from the software arena. So it's not software as a service, but learning as a service. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And I love the the crossover because I, I, the Edelman Trust Barometer um, has recently been released this year. And, you know, it looks at what employees want more from their employers. And training is one of the most significant things. Like you say, it's not your traditional training. It's not just your, your sales training, your, you know, and all that, how to manage skills, typical skills like negotiation skills but the fact that it's overlapping to lifestyle skills i think that's fascinating and great yes. we should be doing it is that. yes mm. and it's it, it's fun yeah it's it is fun, fun. well <laughs> it, it is so interesting because coming back to what you asked me in, in the first minutes of, of this conversation is again stay curious there's so many things to learn i started in sales training then i continued you know with training for also operations people uh, our research and development people marketing I widened the scope and here with Hemsley Fraser, we offer almost everything you can imagine in a learning environment. And that is really fascinating. Yeah, I think that's great. Great advice, I think, Paco. Now, final question for you is around a topic that I know you are very passionate about too. In fact, I don't think there's anything you're not passionate about in this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Social selling. I know you're a big advocate and believer of social selling. And can you just tell me a little bit about how you came to really realize this was a new way of doing things but also what would you say to salespeople who are not yet convinced that it's a good use of time to be Mm -hmm. on social media yes thank you for uh, allowing me to to elaborate on that so to your first part of the question when i was still with mercury international some five six years ago it was the time when linkedin came into europe and the 
introduced the sales navigator, the very first version of the sales navigator. I mean, it was like, you know, a light bulb moment for me. It's like it was when I first entered Facebook some, I don't know, 10, 15 <laughs> years ago. I did it not, honestly, not because of personal interest, but I wanted to understand in what social media channels my son was, you know, oh, developing, yeah. not to be able to understand it at least. And that was the same trigger for the sales navigator and for LinkedIn. I wanted to understand what could be the impact in the sales process, mm -hmm. applying and better understanding that tool. That was, let's say, the, the first uh, interest for that. And I remember one conversation with a, uh, a friend of mine, uh, an American, he is a guru in key account management. Mm -hmm. And I remember that I introduced Sales Navigator and social selling with him. I started a conversation with him and he said, Paco, no way. You know, key account <laughs> management that is face to face, that is, you know, about relationships. And I said to him, I mean, and so what? Yeah. I mean, it's just the start of the sales conversation. I know that you will never sell at least a comp solution over the sales navigator of LinkedIn, yeah. but it's initiating a relationship. And then yeah. when you're starting this online, of course, you will go offline into the real world at some point. Yes. Fascinating. What would you say then to somebody who is a little bit skeptical? Because they may come from a place where it's like, well, I know that the more calls I make, the more meetings I'll get, you know, I'm still a numbers driven, you know, in the traditional way of doing things. So mm. what one piece of advice would you get? I'm putting you on the spot here, but what one piece of advice would you give them? Engage with the tool. Give, give it a chance to to convince it and to make it a habit. Yeah. I think you need to make it a habit even if it's only 10 minutes because, you know, it's also when you do proact, even if you're writing proactively to somebody, a request for contact on LinkedIn, I need to have the right mindset. It should be the right moment. I just can't do it, you know, when I'm at an airport and I have 30 minutes, you know, with all the people around me. No, I need to have the right mindset, the right environment, and then I can formulate an engaging request for contact, which by the way should be always customized if possible. yeah well we always say you know it's about conversations and conversations lead to connections connections mm. lead to referrals relationships maybe opportunities you know and this is where you start to build a pipeline of relationships and if you stick at it long enough you will have enough relationships that then will start to convert into conversations I, I fully agree and it, it might be counterintuitive but also on LinkedIn it's all about trust yes yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And if you if you have no credible trust, then you, you might as well forget it. Exactly. Oh, Paco, you are, for, for one, right? I didn't realize that you used to work for Lufthansa and <laughs> Air France, <laughs> did you say? I didn't realize yes. that. What a career. Yeah, long time ago, had. long time ago. Were you, were you cabin crew or something, Paco? Or? No, I was ground, ground staff. Um, That's brilliant. Oh, yes, it, it was so funny. I met so many funny people there. <laughs> I just think how you're, you are the epitome, I think, of somebody who's just learning and adapting and agile and resilient and shifting your career. My word, you know, they talk about portfolio careers. You were doing this way before the millennial generation were doing it. So it's brilliant. I love it. And you just, Thank you. You, clearly you are passionate about learning and you are a great advocate for Hemsley Fraser I think and thank you so much for sharing some of your ideas and perspectives around learning with me today it was a real pleasure Sarah oh, thank thanks, you thanks Paco thanks for listening to the campfire chat podcast be sure to visit tribalimpact.com to join us on social media access the show notes and discover content that relates to today's conversation 
See you at the next episode.